Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for being with us once again. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning. We're going to get right to the latest edition of the Smart Driving Cars newsletter. There's a piece in Next Big Future uh, saying GM crews may have over $2 billion in losses this year. We've been hearing these kinds of figures for a while, I suppose. Goes on to say the GM unit will need to grow revenue by a thousand to two thousand times and achieve operational and financial efficiency to become very profitable. Alan, uh, you have some thoughts about uh, this posting. We've, we've seen well, these not kinds of numbers, I guess, before. Look, this is the investment phase of um, of a disruptive technology. So you know, this is investment. And, you know, at times, um, I guess as part of investing, um, bankruptcies occur to sort of clear out the original investors <laughs> and um, kind of start over. So maybe it leads to bankruptcies. I don't know. But, um, um, yes, uh, it, it is still, and I, of course, believe it's still a disruptive technology. And uh, disruptive meaning that it has the opportunity to really uh, change the landscape of how people get around, how people get rides, how people get to places. And, and um, technologically, at least you know, from a theoretical point of view of the level of service that can be delivered that at least as we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum uh, matches up to the kinds of uh, demand that we have uh, to go to places. Um, and and if it if it if it can provide and provide that level of service and provide it at a cost that is as cheap as doing it yourself, then maybe, you know, it is a disruptive technology in the Schumpeter economic view of the world where, you know, disruptive technologies, you know, attack a problem uh, from its very fundamentals and, and basically uproots the existing means the, the piece Biden. seems to indicate that, that 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 they need to go after the typical Uber and Lyft customer. Well, that, that you, gets, you've, you've always uh, advocated otherwise. I think that's that's, that's again, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm just an academic, but if I'm de I'm designing a disruptive technology, I'm going to go after a big market. <laughs> And if I look at the Uber Lyft ride-hailing market, it's not a big market. It 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 doesn't have one percent one one percent of the of the business. Yeah, for you know a couple of a niche, sure, maybe. But but it doesn't. It's it's one percent of the of the person trips, if that. If that, but people really want to go to places. They need a ride. 
or, you know, they have a choice. They can use their legs, those who have them, and can use them, or they need a ride, okay? And, and what, what amazes me is that these companies are not going after, after giving people rides. They are trying to, instead of be disruptive with what they have, they are trying to be me too on, on the ride hailing. And, and okay, great. Even if you're successful at that, you aren't going to make it, my view. And I don't think Uber and Lyft are going to make it. I mean, Uber turned a profit. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't, okay, maybe. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the concept of Uber being a disruptive mobility system. In its exception, because fundamentally to the Uber concept was that it was going to be inexpensive. And it can't be if you have to have a chauffeur. Or at least, because if it could be, it would have been many, many years ago. Why? Because we've had chauffeurs available. Oh, okay, there's an app now. Oh, great. That's the dis that's gonna make the big difference? No. It has to be disruptive in service and disruptive in price. Because again, I don't know, there's supply demand. I am not an e economist. I don't think I've ever taken a course in economics. I know nothing about it. I mean, I'm, look, I mean, poor guy, whatever. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What is financial engineering? Seems well, to you know, I mean, that. you know, but <laughs> I'm, I'm a transportation guy. I'm an optimization guy. I don't know. I can do do equations, okay? But really, really, and and if you can come in there on the demand curve you know, at a price that's low. And all of a sudden, I think comes at you. It's disruptive. The elevator was disruptive in tall buildings. Disruptive. It enabled tall buildings. Guess what enabled it? Automation of the elevator. Why? Because if you had to pay an elevator operator to sit there 24-7, not just to give you a ride in the elevator, but to be there waiting for you, hanging around until you decided to want to go up and down the elevator, you got to have a lot of cash. And that's, that means that on the demand curve, only few. And, and the top floor goes from being a place with cheap rent to a, be, becoming a penthouse because of the elevator. <laughs> because of the elevator. Because of the, because of the accessibility, the mobility offered 24-7 on demand. 
but but it requires the user to have skin in the game. Okay? Elevators in buildings aren't everywhere. You can't just show up someplace in the elevator and get on your app and, hey, an elevator comes to you. No. You have to go someplace. You have to put in some effort. You have to earn it. You have to go to the elevator bank. Why? Because if you go to the elevator bank, they figure it out that, my goodness, there's there's an aggregation of the demand. And then you aren't going to need elevators all throughout the volume of the building to take you right to your room, right to the door of the place you're the doctor you're visiting. Right from you, you know, right from where you are. But you have a, a cell phone that can just ho oh, get out of here. <laughs> Moving on, Alan, uh, from the latest edition, uh, highlighting uh, Cruise agreeing to cut its fleet of robo-taxis uh, in San Francisco by half to no more than 50 during the day, 150 at night. And this comes after a request from the California DMV following a crash with an emergency vehicle in the city. Okay, and I think Cruz has agreed to it. I, I think right. Cruz should agree to go to zero. They've they've used they've used San Francisco to their advantage. They've demonstrated that they work technologically. Okay, so they've done that, and they can do that elsewhere. But if they're not appreciated for the mobility that they offer and all of a sudden say, hey, you know, chop it in half. I don't know what the advantage is in chopping it in half. They don't have any there anyway. In the 7 by 7 of San Francisco, the 49 square miles. On a typical day, there are approximately 2.1 million person trips who who need a ride. 2.1 million. Okay, and Mooney, and and whatever, and the and the cable car, and whatever, and Bart, you know, do some of them. The rest of them are done by cars, or many of them aren't taken. These are per trips that should be taken, that, that, that would improve the quality of life in San Francisco so that all San Franciscans can get from and to and from the places where they want to go within that seven by seven, that nice concentrated area. Forget it going down the valley or going to the airport. Take BART. Okay? But within that, no, my goodness, here we have a system that is sitting out there available. At least, at least they're allowing them to have more overnight when Mooney shuts down. 
And how are people supposed to get around? Oh, they're supposed to drive their own cars. They're supposed to go, uh, you know, bum a ride someplace. They need a ride. But apparently they're not appreciated there. The, the, the service that they're offering is not appreciated. So they should say, okay, great. Technologically, we got this thing to work. Okay. Now, why don't we go someplace? Like, hey, as we've been saying, New Jersey. Come to Jersey. Where people need rides. But now focus on giving rides to people who need them. And we, I think it's just amazing that now you want to say, oh, I got to have a, it's got to be ride hailing. No. I mean, seriously, how long, how many times have we said the level, the service characteristics of an elevator should be available uniformly throughout an area? San Francisco, if one sits back and says, look, so that's a nice, well-defined operational design domain. One could go in there and really do a great job providing mobility from anywhere to anywhere within that for people who want to travel within that. If you want to go to Jablip, then, you know, that's on somebody else. But guess what? Not that many people want to go to the blip on a daily basis. On an everyday, just live your life and improve your life. And for the onesie twosies that happen, you know, who knows when during the month, sure. And for the people that are the techno whatever folks of Silicon Valley, they have enough money in the bank, let them. Let them figure it out for themselves. Let them go on the 101 and with all the crazies. <laughs> so maybe Cruz, you should leave San Francisco and say thank you. Thank you for providing a very good testing ground for us. We got checkmark, proof of technology. But checkmark, proof of market, you don't appreciate us. Apparently, you want Mooney to do it all. Good luck. And you had the experience to take a, a ride when you were out there this summer yeah, as well. It, no. Yeah, no, I was. It's it's impressive. But go to why don't you go to some places where you'll be appreciated? And then guess what? If you can get productivities, which you can, I believe with a well-operating fleet, well-managed fleet. Why? Because it's it's code that does this. Where people, you know, put a little skin in the game by making their way to places, designated places, where they'll aggregate themselves, where you'll have the opportunity to do at least some ride sharing. Not a big deal. Get, get to an average of two, two per Per vehicle, for the whole day, average of two. How do you average two? Well, most of the time, there's nobody else going to where you're going. So, you, of course, people have to go by themselves. But in peak hours, peak directions, you can get three. You can get four. Get a few of those so that on average, it gets to two. 
And then all of a sudden, as we showed in, in San Francisco, what is it? Break even fare or the cost of doing it, you know, $2.50 per trip. Nothing. And now, now you, you, you go out there and you provide this at $3.50 a trip throughout San Francisco or throughout the operational design domain of a concentrated, you know, community between these places, people will be coming out of the woodwork to use you. And guess what, what? Is, what is what is your answer, Alan? Just to uh, play devil's advocate, I suppose. Please. To, to, well, to, well, to people who say, "Well, look at these problems." I mean, they they got permission to expand pretty on you know to an unlimited yeah. kind of service, and then something happens. There's a crash with an emergency vehicle. Now, okay, it is enormously unfortunate that, that there was a crash with. A, a an emergency vehicle, an emergency responder, okay, enormously, all right. But what amazes me about San Francisco? Here it is. What the tech capital of the world, or at least they think they are, okay. There is an emergency at time T that triggers off a response by an emergency vehicle located at point A to go to point B in San Francisco. You would think that this tech capital of the world with so many intelligent transportation systems professionals, they've had world congresses there of intelligent transportation who sell gizmos to control traffic signals and coordinate traffic signals. The city of San Francisco hasn't bought one of these things so that as the emergency is triggered, there is a green pathway made complete from that origin to that destination for that emergency vehicle. So it can have its whatever blaring but it has green lights the whole way without total disruption. Why? Because you know when it was, you know when it comes out, you have timing, you did to do. It's a trivial problem. It's not even a homework exercise in my class. Okay. They haven't implemented that. Apparently, what the heck is an emergency vehicle trying to respond to an emergency? going through, having to go through red lights. There should have been a green pathway, boom, going down there, and everybody's, and whatever. Luckily, there wasn't some kid crossing a, you know, a crosswalk at that time and got boomed. Come on, San Francisco, really? How have you not invested? The tech capital of the world hasn't even done that. This has been available since, I don't know, last century. Cut it out. <laughs> Excellent. I, I so, so, I'm sorry. I well, well, well said. 
There's a report in The Virgin. It's pretty much the same thing we've been talking about from Andrew Hawkins. It's the headline is "Robo Taxis Are Driving on Thin Ice." Um, There's no ice. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's midsummer and they're out there in the middle of the lake. They're sinking. I don't think they did their homework. They did a lot of homework technologically. They didn't do enough sociologically. Somehow, somehow they got it into their mind that they are now going to be able to provide a better level of service than Uber Lyft, than ride hailing. And it's not ride sharing because there's no sharing rides there. It's ride hailing. You know, one person, one driver, but the driver is the computer. I mean, it might as well be. Okay. Somehow they got in their mind that oh my goodness, this is this is this is the market to go after. Oh well da da dee da 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 well all the executives and da da do da da do. The size of that market is infinitesimal. One percent. Okay. You're going after the wrong thing. You're out in the middle of the of the of the bear pond in Maine, and guess what? It's not December, it's not January, it's not February, it's August 15th. <laughs> I don't know what, Andrew, you should have just said, you know, there's no ice, it's not thin, man. <laughs> On the upside, maybe they're looking yeah. for some Southern hospitality, Alan. Uh, GM Authority says cruise is now testing in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, and I guess they're getting closer to Jersey, okay? I mean... Um, At least they're on the right coast. Yeah. I hope they've done their homework. Now, you know, I guess, Fred, you and I, we, we must not just not check out the news and so on. I haven't... I guess people in Charlotte are all lined up with red carpet awaiting them as the savior to... The, the mobility aspirations of, of Charlotte and to improve the quality of life of Charlottians or whatever we might call them. I don't know. I, I didn't see that. I hope they have that welcoming. Again, you you have a red carpet waiting in your garage, I think. <laughs> well, in my, you know, and they they think, oh well, it's one one goofball in Jersey, okay, and you know nobody else wants them in Jersey, and 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 yeah, um, I think it's it's I don't know, I, I I think it's been the approach in Jersey that that we didn't we or I or something didn't want Jersey to be the test bed to prove that the technology works. We've been wanting to have welcoming, not for testing purposes, but for deployment purposes. Okay. Yeah. We like to think that, you know, we're, we like to, we like research. We like to be able to 
to develop things. And yes, that is that is a laudable thing to do. But I think what what we would like to have, or what I think New Jersey should like to have, is to have the value proposition of the improved mobility in a deployment that really goes and improves the lives of folks who, you know, haven't, who've been lar largely left behind by other mobilities, okay? If you can drive your, yourself, in other words, if you have the wherewithal to drive yourself, wherewithal includes physical, mental, financial, legal, blah, 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 then, you know, driving yourself in Jersey, uh, you know, at times has its challenges, but you, you can do it, and a lot of people do it. And if everybody could do that, then I guess, great. The, the issue is, is that if you look at it, not everybody can do that. It's not even everybody. It's only about half, half of a body. Only about 50% of the folks at any time or whatever has the wherewithal to be able to do it themselves. And as we know from, you know, Home Depot, Home Depot, sorry. Um, you know, do it yourself is kind of a good thing. I like doing it myself because I'm a cheap guy. I can't afford it. Whatever. You know? But some, but 50% <laughs> can't do it themselves for whatever reason. The can is. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't think it's environmentally appropriate to. Maybe, who knows? Maybe physically, mentally, da, da, da. financially. Nobody wants to talk about financially. The reason why people don't want to talk about the financially business is because the classic ways to be able to provide mobility when it involves a driver at a level of service that is comparable to the do-it-yourself level of service, things become very expensive. Why? Because the demand is so diffuse in space and time. Not everybody wants to go from point A to point B. If we would have all built up to that just point A's and point B's, or as they want to do in Saudi Arabia, you know, linear city, 500 miles, everybody packed in, you know, along some corridor. Yeah, sure. Who wants to live there? <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine what, whatever. Hasn't been the way people wanted to live. Where do you live, Fred? You live in Jackson, New Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, how dense is it there? Where do I live? I live in the Princeton bubble. Whatever. You know, that's where people have chosen to live. Why? You know, that's the best they could do for themselves. And it's it ends up having transportation be diffused in space and time. And if it's diffuse in space and time, then you have to have a demand response of meaning. 
that the system has to react to the demand rather than the demand reacting to the system. So when you put up a bus route with stops and a schedule, you're saying, hey, yo, here's a supply side demand. You respond to it. And guess what most people say? I'll walk or not go. And then they try to say, well, you know, we're going to put these all over the place. We can't. We have a 606 bus running here, you know, through Princeton. There's nobody in it except for the driver. And that's not an overstatement. Well, sort of, but not really. And then you drive down 206 and you see somebody's standing there under a bus sign waiting for the bus. Who knows when it's coming? And it, it it can't it it can't it can't respond because it's it's fixed. It can't respond to the demand. We have a dinky here, a train that runs between Princeton and Princeton Junction. New Jersey Transit has essentially a deterministic estimate of when trains arrive at Princeton Junction. As soon as they depart from either Hamilton going north, which I guess is east or something, I don't know how New Jersey, whatever, or New Brunswick coming south, the travel time between those two points to Princeton Junction, the variation of that, it's a direct delta function. There's essentially no variation. So as soon as those trains depart those points, one has essentially a perfect estimate as to when they're going to arrive at Princeton Junction. Here we have a dinky running between Princeton Junction and Princeton. You would think that, if anything, it would run demand responsively to meet every train. It's only five-minute run. Actually, probably can make it in four. Okay? And it takes, like, eight, 10, whatever the minutes are to go between these these other places. The dinky runs on a schedule. It, It doesn't have to occur many times that the dinky leaves for Princeton just before a train arrives to dump a bunch of people off at Princeton Junction that want to go to Princeton. Guess what they have to do? I guess they have to hail Uber Lyft and pay who knows what or taxi to get to Princeton. Where the dinky could have demand responsively just waited another minute. Oh, but it's on the schedule. If you're going to use that mentality to operate your system, it is not demand response. It's a shame. It's a shame. Not why, well, you know, they probably go through union rules. Okay, I give up. Now you have a system that, hey, there's no union rules associated with when the algorithm tells this thing to go to there, wait around, pick up somebody, take them there. That's all just, you know, algorithms that... My students can write. 
almost trivially. It's not AI. Just you know, really simple stuff. Now, to be able to drive without a driver and not hit things and, and not, you know, go through a green light when you have a green light and, you know, who knows what is coming through and coming out of nowhere. That's tough. But anyway, I mean, um, I don't know how we got on that one, but, you know, these have the opportunity to be demand responsive. That means the customer becomes king. Seems like in most businesses, the customer is king or queen or Barbie or maybe <laughs> just Ken. We had to we had to throw that one in there, didn't we, Fred? <laughs> I don't know. We 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 started out in Charlotte and we wound up in now. Now Baker, we're at just <laughs> now we're at just Ken. <laughs> I'm just Ken. What can There's I one other report we want to highlight here. You yep. you included in the newsletter from Juris, uh, spotlighting potential criminal liability for operation of automated vehicles, and you had some some comments about that. I mean, you know. This this old business level three is just a quagmire, and people have been saying that. Chris Ermson has said that from day one, or, or originally, or Google and originally Carnegie Mellon. You know, if it's my vehicle, and then all of a sudden I flip it on. And it's going to be, you know, some car company's system driving me. Then there has to be a handover of the responsibility. And I, I certainly hope that if I buy a Mercedes with this stuff on it, since Mercedes does, now does level three, that when I say, hey, I want to target my level three on, it goes through some diagnostic plan and says, who, Alan, your um, auxiliary battery is a little low and you haven't maintained that. And did you know that you got a warning two weeks ago that that thing is, you know, sort of glitchy and you haven't brought it in for service for which, you know, we're going to charge you an infinite amount of money to to replace that thing and fix it um, and me being cheap guy <laughs> forget about it and said we can't turn this on for you until you do that okay i'm irresponsible mercedes you've slapped my wrist for being irresponsible i guess if i would have known that i wouldn't have bought the car and secondly, maybe I'll just take it, send it back to you. Because, you know, I don't know how many of these cars I bought from you over history. And guess what you've done each time I bought one? You haven't improved it as I've owned it. First thing you did as soon as I bought it is you told me about how I should come in and trade it in to buy another one. Now, I've put up with that customer service all these years, but I'm about up to here with this. 
Because I hear, I, I, I agree that there's another car company that says, whoa, you know, we'll make sure. And in fact, we'll fix these things. And in fact, in fact, in fact, thing will improve as, over time as you own it. That's disruptive to the customer, I think. And on that note, in the, in the newsletter, you have another tip of the hat to uh, Rob Maurer from Tesla yeah. Daily, which is always informative. Yeah, well, Rob Maurer points out that Tesla stock went down 25% over the past month. So, you know, he, he at least isn't covering it up. <laughs> you know, oh. I think I, I like, I, I don't know. I just happen to, I just, I like his reporting. What can I say? I like Andrews. Hawkins is reporting also since since we you we refer to him quite often Absolutely. others others it's nothing but it seems that it's nothing but clickbait well maybe that's what they say about our stuff i don't know fred Do they... <laughs> well we hope people will click but we're not putting the bait out there let's put it that way i hope not i don't know although we 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 sort of there are really just a few fundamentals here. My goodness, there's been enormous progress in making the technology work, at least by two entities, Cruz and, and Waymo. And my opinion, they proved it in San Francisco. Why? Because they're actually operating out there without drivers in the cars. And 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 doing it well my opinion and and well enough that it can be taken advantage of because all of a sudden if you strip out the cost of the driver on each of those vehicles and you really utilize them in a place where there's people that will use it and share it again the cost per ride the cost the cost not the fare the cost before subsidy is really low. And they can then afford to put it out there at a very attractive fare that most people will be more than happy to pay for and certainly be, certainly be above water going forward and in fact contributing to the, to the, to the paying off of all the investment that it took to get to the point. But they have to focus on trying to give rides those kinds of rides because there's nobody out there doing it. I mean, they're talking about in San Francisco that, 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 that the fare is, you know, it's like a taxi fare at the drop of the meter you know, it's four bucks or whatever, and then it's whatever per mile. A fleet of these things operating in San Francisco efficiently on a kiosk to kiosk type of basis, the high level of service, people aggregated get them 24-7. They should be able to get 100 person trips a day productivities with ride sharing, not extensive ride sharing, you know, Average two per two per per vehicle per day, 
Average vehicle occupancy of two. At less than the drop of the meter. If they just get the drop of the meter, they make a buck and a half on a trip. Oh my goodness, if you do this for half a million trips a day, buck and a half, that's 750, um, whatever, um, 750,000 bucks a day profit. I did the arithmetic in my head right. A day, 300 days a year. Put a couple of zeros at the end, multiply by three. And seven by seven. Just staying within that. You're successful with that, you're increasing. You come to Jersey and you do it in Trenton, you do it in, 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 in Perth Amboy, you do it in, in Atlantic City, you do it in Camden, you do it in Newark, you do it in the, 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 pretty soon in, in Jersey. You're, you're, sir, there are 30 million person trips a day in New Jersey. Get 10% of it, that's 3 million. Make a buck and a half on each. That's, you know, four and a half million bucks a day profit. By charging what? Five bucks, six bucks a ride? Somehow, they don't, I, it's, it's amazing. Maybe they should come take my course. <laughs> Can they get in? Ouch. Terrific, Alan. Well, you can you can you can find it in in Princeton, New Jersey. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com. We're also on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you turn to for podcasts. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week.